0: Hi, this is The Apologist Bookshelf again. I'm Gary Zacharias. This is Easter weekend for me, and uh, I wanted to share with you probably the leading book, the number one book regarding the resurrection of Jesus and whether it really happened or not, because that's the hinge of Christianity, isn't it? So this book is called The Case for the Resurrection of Jesus and includes a uh, CD with it. The authors are Gary Habermas and Mike Lacona. And just to give you a feeling for the power of this book, I'm looking at the back of the book. Lee Strobel says, this is the most comprehensive defense of Jesus' resurrection anywhere. If you're interested in knowing the evidence for the resurrection and sharing it with others, you must read this book. Uh, Josh McDowell, a phenomenal resource. J.P. Moreland says, this book may be the most thorough defense of the historicity of the resurrection And so uh, Habermas is known as the Dean of Resurrection Studies. He's looked at hundreds and hundreds of uh, people who have examined it, both Christians and non-Christians. And he's got something like over 25 books that he's written. He's authored all sorts of articles, has a wonderful website that you can find, Gary, uh, Habermas.com, and uh, some really good material there. Mike Lacona is a New Testament historian himself. He's uh, spoken a lot of places. And so these are two wonderful uh, authors, and I thought maybe I would do two things. Usually I just take one chapter and uh, look at that, but I'd like to, in a sense, skip to a couple of other places as well. So just to give you a feel for what the big structure is, part one is a life to die for, sharing your faith. It talks about evangelism and the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Part two called Just the Facts, Ma'am. And he starts in, they start in on the minimal facts approach, which we'll get to in a few minutes. And then part three is Yes, but, and it's encountering opposing theories. So, what else happened? Maybe Jesus just fainted on the cross. Maybe it was a legend. Maybe uh, people just went to the wrong tomb. All those kinds of things. And then uh, other issues, Uh, part four is things like, was it a heavenly vision or actually a bodily appearance? And who did Jesus think he was? What does God have to do with this? So this is an amazing book, just so powerful. Let me start then with the first section here. This is uh, chapter one. He calls it Unwrapping the Gift, uh, subtitled Evangelism and the Resurrection of Jesus. They start off saying, well, what's the gospel? What's the gospel message? Well, I said it's uh, basically defined by three essential facts that you pick up in Paul's letters as well as the book of Acts. Number one is the deity of Jesus. That's part of the gospel message. Number two, the death of Jesus in our place. Thank goodness for that, huh? And then number three, the crucial one, the key to it all, the resurrection of Jesus. So those are the big three. And they they go on to say that uh, for the New Testament writers, the resurrection of Jesus was the focal point of their teaching. And think about what Paul said. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still under condemnation for your sins. All who have died believing in Christ have perished. Well, that's pretty grim, huh? Jesus' critics asked him what his sign was going to be. And he said, yes, it'll be the resurrection. So, they go on and say, if you look at other religions, like they, they examine uh, the Muslim faith and Mormon faith, and they said, Jesus says it's going to be the resurrection. That's a that's a key event that you could find out in history, whether it happened or not. But they said, look at the Muslim faith. How do you prove the Muslim faith? You you prove it because only God could have written the Quran. Well, so it's such a wonderful text. It's got to be from God. And Mormons make pretty much the same claim for the Book of Mormon. And uh, yet they said, you know, if you were to compare the first surah and the Quran with Psalm 19, many a reader is going to conclude that Psalm 19 is actually superior. So that's pretty subjective, isn't it? Believe in the Muslim faith, Islam, because the book uh, the, that God wrote, the Quran, is so wonderful. Well, some people say yes, but a lot of people say no. And then how about the Book of Mormon? Is that really such a wonderful book? Says... Uh, in Mormonism, you got some problems. Archaeology and the Book of Abraham—it says it poses a lot of serious challenges that could be insurmountable. But it's subjective—just feelings that Mormonism is is correct. There, that's that's a huge thing. But it says Jesus's test is different. What's his test? What's his sign? The resurrection. There's no room for ambigu- ambiguity. That's not subjective. So he either rose from the dead, or he was a fraud. So then the key question comes from uh, Habermas and Lacona, is there enough evidence for a rational person to be justified in concluding that Jesus' resurrection was a real event in history? Now, of course, that means, can you trust the trustworthiness of the Bible? Can you trust the Bible? Is it reliable? And so it says, uh, so they have a section here about Jesus' predictions regarding his resurrection, and it says, some scholars actually doubt, oh, Jesus didn't really predict his resurrection. But they said there are really four reasons to believe that he actually did. Number one, well, if you deny the resurrection as a historical event, then of course you're going to say, well, he probably didn't really predict it. But if the resurrection event is historical, then the reason for rejecting Jesus' predictions are ineffective. So there's number one. Number two, Jesus predicted the resurrection, but the disciples didn't seem to know what was going on. And then the first conclusion after the empty tomb was discovered, maybe somebody stole the body. Women went to report on it rather than the men, and the disciples didn't believe them. Even viewing the empty tomb, they didn't know what to think. Thomas just refused to believe. Now, it seems pretty unlikely, doesn't it, that the disciples or the early Christians who respected these people, that they would invent sayings of Jesus would place him in such a bad life. It's called the principle of embarrassment. It must There must have been some real predictions because it's embarrassing how the disciples reacted. Here's item number three. Did Jesus really predict his death and resurrection? He used the title Son of Man. And it says that really weighs in authentic, uh, toward authenticity. The Jews didn't think of the Son of Man in the sense of a suffering Messiah. So it's probably, they, they said the quote, uh, here is, if there are words or deeds of Jesus that can't be derived from Judaism or from the early church after him, then it's probably legit. So for those reasons, Jesus' prediction regarding the resurrection, when when he connected a son of man, seems pretty authentic. Number four, they said Jesus' predictions concerning the resurrection are all over the place. So I'm just going to rattle off a few verses in case you want to check them out. Uh, Matthew 12. 16, 17, and 20. There are specific verses, but I think that's too hard to do in a podcast. So if you just look up those chapters, Matthew 12, 16, 17, 20. Mark 8 and Mark 9 and 10. Luke 9, John 2. And it says compare to Mark 14, 58, and Luke 11, 29 to 30. So, uh, there are a lot of reasons to believe that Jesus actually did predict his resurrection. Number one, well, if you're going to deny the resurrection, of course, you're going to deny, deny his, uh, his prediction. So that seems like kind of a weak uh, complaint about the scholars. Number two, the disciples didn't seem to catch on. That seems to um, argue in favor because it's so embarrassing. You know, Jesus must have done this the way the disciples react it seems to talk about truth there number 3 the way jesus used that term son of man then number 4 all sorts of predictions in the new testament in the gospels about the resurrection now he said in another section here is that you you can't absolutely come up with certainty when it comes to that it says you know when you're talking history you're talking probability not 100% certainty and all worldviews share that challenge. I mean, there's no worldview, no no world religion, and certainly not atheism, can be demonstrated with just absolute certainty. See, they give an example. Can we know with 100% certainty that we weren't just created five minutes ago, complete with false memories? No. So this is nothing can really be established with 100% certainty. So they said there's a kind of a line graph going from very doubtful to very certain. Along the way, it would be quite doubtful, somewhat doubtful, uncertain, then moving towards certainty, somewhat certain, quite certain, very certain. And so you look through all of the data and you try to determine which scenario best explains the data, we are not gonna get total certainty. And they talk about also historians are concerned with plausibility. So the standard is just proof beyond a reasonable doubt. 100% 100% of certainty is only possible in rare circumstances. So you're talking about reasonable doubt here. And so, good point here. They quote a person who says, you know, the standard for belief is that something was really said or really happened when the reasons for accepting it outweigh the reasons to reject it. Okay. So when it comes to proving any historic event, they said, you have to remember we're looking for whether we can ascertain with a reasonable amount of certainty that it occurred. Just reasonable amount of of certainty. Okay, so that's the first chapter. Now, I wanted to go ahead a little bit here just to tease you a bit with, what did they base this book on? What are they looking for? Well, Gary Habermas has worked up the minimal approach uh, to the resurrection of Jesus. And that means he takes what data that's just strongly attested historically, even non-believing scholars will accept them as facts. Okay, so we got that. It's not Habermas of the Coen just hoping these things are true. Habermas has researched the, the field of historical study when it comes to the crucifixion and the, the, the uh, resurrection of Jesus. And they said the vast majority of non-believing scholars will buy into these items here. Now, it's going to be four facts plus one. I'll tell you why they're doing a, a plus one. So here are the four facts that they said... Even non-believing scholars are going to accept. Number one, Jesus' death by crucifixion. Nobody denies that. Number two, the disciples believed that they saw Jesus. They believed they saw his appearance. Now, it doesn't mean that it really happened, but I'm just saying these are what non-believing scholars will say. So, number one, the death of Jesus by crucifixion. Number two, the disciples believed they saw him. Number three, the conversion of Paul, who's a huge skeptic. And number four, the conversion of another skeptic, brother of Jesus, James. So they say those four are huge. They're they're super, super big. Then they said there's one that is attested to by the majority, but not the vast majority, and that's the empty tomb. So they add that as a fifth cause there. And so there may be all sorts of other theories that have come about regarding Jesus and what happened to him that day, that weekend, I should say, but... If you're gonna deal with some kind of alternative fact or alternative hypothesis, you've gotta deal with, he died, the disciples thought they saw him, conversion of Paul, conversion of James, and then the empty tomb as a fifth fact. So that's what they're going to focus on in this book. Now I just wanted to share that with you so you'd recognize that. So it's called The Case for the Resurrection of Jesus. I think it's an essential for your bookshelf, something that you really ought to hang on to. It's easy to read. It's not a hard book to read. And then it does have a DVD with it. Um, Sorry, a CD with it. So I would suggest getting that one and putting that on your shelf and dipping into it and seeing what are the reasons and why we can trust those reasons and how the alternatives don't work very well. So thanks, and I hope you have a good Easter, and we can say, He is risen indeed.